Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We will be with you for the next hour, Mace. Uh, 24 hours from now on this station, baby. We'll be carrying Lions and Chiefs week one. Can you believe it? Like, it's finally back. Like, we all remember the Super Bowl call, the holding that sort of left a bad taste in our mouths because I think 98% of Denver was cheering for the Eagles, and it was such an anticlimactic way for that game to end. And tomorrow, we finally get to hit the reset button. The question is, will Travis Kelsey be out there for the Chiefs in this season of hitting the reset button? Yeah, that's a good point. Yes. I mean, we we saw the reports today that he is questionable. We know the ACL is intact. He obviously dodged a major injury. But, man, I think if you're Kansas City, you got a long journey ahead of you. I don't understand rushing him into a Thursday night game. But then again, I think Travis Kelsey is going to want to play, and that will be a battle with Andy Reid. Yeah. Sometimes you have to save the player from themselves when they're injured. And we'll see if that's what happens there. You don't want to... You don't want to put up the white flag or compromise your chances of winning that first game out of the blocks. And Detroit's a tough team. Uh, they surged at the end of last year. They look like they've got the tools to finally uh, win a division title, which I believe would be their first in 30 years, if I'm not mistaken, if they get it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's a, probably a longer history than I've been alive. So it, it would be some time, that is for sure. But point being, man, I'm I'm pumped. I'm fired up. You know, we got a great appetizer this past weekend with college football and obviously CU being the talk of of not only the local world but the national world the sports world they're leading ESPN every day they're leading sports center every day they're top stories every national website so we got uh, our appetites wetted but for my buck mace there is nothing better than the NFL and I love college I'm a big college guy even when CU and CSU weren't so good and with CU being good this year I think that's gonna that's gonna be even more fun of a ride but I don't know about you. I mean, you're obviously a Broncos beat writer, mm-hmm. but but isn't I mean the NFL is just king and it's king for a reason, right? It is, and I think it's um, I think it's a more balanced style of the sport anyway than what the college game offers. I mean, when it's okay, you know, last team with the ball wins, which a lot of college football seems to have become. I I, I don't I don't find it as interesting. I find defense interesting. I think there's a little more give and take in the NFL than in college football. Yeah, so. the, the shootout is less likely. Yeah. Although, although I, I think we could probably see a shootout tomorrow night. I do. Yeah. I mean, you Kansas, can, Kansas City without Chris Jones on the defensive side, I mean, Detroit's going to be able to kind of pound it away at them. And, and this, Jared Goff should have plenty of time to work with in the pocket. Yeah, the that that game could end up in the 30s on both sides. Yeah, the Super Bowl was 38-35. It would yeah. not shock me if we saw mm-hmm. a repeat-type score, probably a warm night. I guarantee it's 90 degrees in KC tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. You know, fast turf. But we're talking about football that counts. Football that counts, At man. last. And football I mean, that counts. As Broncos fans, we have a vested interest in that game. Sure. It will be very good for the Broncos if the Detroit Lions spring an upset tomorrow night on KC. It will. Yes, absolutely. I mean... If you're looking for ways in which the Broncos can somehow fly through what appears to be a narrow window to be a playoff team, 
If you're looking for ways to do that, one of the things that would certainly help is for every AFC contender to lose those games in interconference play. And then for the Broncos, conversely, to, to, to make that up and then some by sweeping the NFC North, which I don't think is terribly unreasonable. I don't th- I mean, it, I think so, a lot of those games are coin flips games, but those are games that end up being the difference when you're talking about who's going to be moving on and who's going to be staying at home. And I think the Broncos, uh, they've got such a narrow path to be a playoff team that they, they need some things to go right, right? Yes. And, like and that like a week with, one upset yeah. that could happen because Travis Kelsey maybe is on the shelf tomorrow night. Yeah, and the Chiefs are listing him as questionable, by the way. Um, we'll see how it all shakes out. Got a couple texters saying, hey, the Chiefs have ruled him out. No, sorry, guys, you have bad information. He is still questionable on that injury report. So we'll have to see. We'll be tracking that, um, obviously, tomorrow afternoon. Because Patrick Mahomes, you know, everyone's saying, yeah, without Tyree Kill, how's he going to make it work? Well, guess what? He still made it work. But without Travis Kelsey, that'll be an interesting wrinkle to monitor. Mahomes is still Mahomes. I'm never going to doubt his greatness. But mm-hmm. removing a weapon like that would would make would make life a little bit tougher or a lot a bit tougher tomorrow night against yeah, Detroit. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, they've got... Yeah, they've got depth at wide receiver, and they have, they have reserves who are going to catch some pass to tight end, but nobody is the multifaceted weapon that Travis Kelsey is. All right, the Broncos had practice today, getting that regular season schedule started, Mace. Obviously, when they play on Sundays, they will practice on Mondays, be off on Tuesdays, practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, when they play, when they play on Sundays, usually they won't practice on Monday. Do they not call them in even? Do they not make them come They're in? They're in. They usually watch film. Okay. I, I guess they work practice, but they, yeah, they work out. Saying. They work out and watch film on Monday. There isn't really a practice per se on Monday. They still have to go to work. They do. Yes, and, and yeah, working out and watching film. They're not putting their feet up on the couch for two straight days. I guess what I'm trying to say is we're getting into our rhythm here. And today was Sean Payton and Russell Wilson Day at the podium, which fans can look forward to almost every Wednesday again, except when they play on Thursdays and Mondays. It'll be a little tweaked. Between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, and you got to observe a little bit of practice, I know. What would you say was your biggest takeaway from what we learned with the, the Broncos? I mean, I'll admit I was not there for Russell Wilson because they make you kind of choose locker room or Russ, locker room or Sean Payton. I stayed for Sean Payton, but I missed a couple of things in the locker room, sort of the, the conundrum that we have right now. Um, I'd say from from Sean Payton, first of all, didn't want to elaborate on Jerry Judy at all. I think it was significant that Jerry Judy was out there doing something uh, in the individual period of practice. But when asked about him, it was just straight up, he was limited. Um, I Looking at Jerry Judy, I would say he's probably, he looked to me to still be a little ways off of returning. Mm, okay. But the fact that he's actually out there running routes 13 days after the hamstring injury and has been cleared to do that, that's a good sign in his recovery. And it reminds you why they didn't put him on in, on short term IR and uh, keep him out for four, and, and keep him out for four weeks automatically if he's been on short term IR. And you made that point there, thirteen days. That goes to show you that anyone who was saying six to eight weeks was a little misguided. Well, we heard sev- we heard several weeks. That was actually a report that came out. I think it was Adam Schefter who used the term several. And, and then, I mean, to be fair, I'm not calling out Adam. I like and two Adam. weeks of that were in the preseason, too, don't forget. But Adam went on a podcast and said a, a person told him yeah. six to eight weeks. Yeah. So, again, 13 days, that's nowhere close to six to eight weeks. And there's some real optimism. I saw a report from James Palmer that they think, they're not, they're not sure, they think he could play in week one. 
That's what a source told James Palmer today. So, I mean, that would be 17 days. That would not be... That'd be uh, pretty incredible. That would not be 42 to 56 days as six to eight weeks would be. So, it would be remarkable. I got to ask you this, though. Do you think he should play? Based on what your eyes saw today. I would say hold him back for one more week. Just to be sure. You don't want to mess... You don't want to exacerbate it. You don't want to take a hamstring injury. It's already bothersome and run the risk of making it worse. I tend to go for extreme caution on hamstring injuries. I'd say it's, a, again, positive that he's out there doing some stuff, but in general, I would say take it easy. Well, look what's him. going on with Cooper Cup right now. Yes. Sean McVay just had to rule him out today. He ruled him out on a Wednesday. That's never a good sign. Cooper Cup's been in Minnesota for three straight days seeing a specialist. Sean McVay said IR is still a possibility, so I think to your point, Mace, you rush him back for week one against the Raiders and he makes it worse, then all of a sudden you're thinking, did we just cost this guy half his season? Yes. And that's the danger. Yeah. I mean, you don't want it to become something like that. Now, granted, Cooper Cup is older than Jerry Judy. With Cooper Cup, I mean, believe it or not, we're talking about a receiver who's, what, on the other side of 30 years old at this point? Sounds about right. Yeah. And um, it's a different scenario for Judy, although don't forget, this is somebody who... Did deal with an ankle injury last year. Did deal with an ankle injury the year before. He has missed nine games over uh, the last uh, two years because of injury. So does that make you think you need? Or to pardon more? me, not eight games to injury, one game because it was on the COVID list. So nine games in total. Does he need? Do you need to be more cautious because of his injury history? Is that what you're getting at? That's that's what I would I would think. Yes, yeah. is is when you have a player with a history of injuries, and it's a hamstring injury. Caution is generally the wiser course of action in all likelihood. But we'll see. Every every injury is different. So, and so, as uh, Coops would say, we're fixing to find out. Yeah, the fact he was out there was a positive sign. Um, I also think with Sean Payton today, uh, there was just some, you know, there, there was, like, like on Javante Williams, for example, there was a little less... Secrecy, if you will, because he almost made it sound like, hey, guys, I have to play Javante Williams because he's a big part of our team. He's going to be a big part of our game plan. I know he hemmed and hawed a little bit about, well, I don't have an exact snap count, so I couldn't tell you how many. Well, he's not wrong. I mean, that's why when I was asked about Javante, Samaj, P. Ryan, the pers- you know, the division, I didn't, I'm not going to give you a number. I'll give you a percentage. But I think he yeah. tipped his hand a little bit that they're feeding the rock to 33 on Sunday, and they really have no other choice because he ne- he didn't even start camp on PUP. He's been practicing since July 26th. It's now mm-hmm. September 10th when they kick the ball off on Sunday. There, there's only so much saran, or saran wrap, bubble wrap you can put a guy in when he's been practicing for six, seven weeks and when he's one of your best players. I got the vibe today that Javante Williams is a huge part of the game plan on Sunday. Well, literally the quote is he's going to play a big role, unquote. Now, that could mean anything. That could mean he's splitting the snaps with Samaj P. Ryan or, uh, or he's getting a majority of them. Um, I, I'm also fascinated to see where Jaleel McLaughlin fits in as well because yeah. that was another aspect of the answer that Sean Payton gave was the, quote, different dimension, unquote, with Jaleel McLaughlin. So how many snaps does he end up getting, and do they have some packages in store for him? I don't want to be Captain Bringdown because I know he's a fan fra- favorite, I think Jaleel McLaughlin will see very little action on Sunday. I think it'll be 70% Javante, 25% Samaje, and 5% Jaleel. And I think that's what they intended all along when they signed Samaje. As long as Javante was healthy, he's the workhorse, and Samaje takes the role he took on in Cincinnati. Okay. 
they intended that for Samaj P. Ryan when they signed him, but they did not have any plans on this spark plug coming from the undrafted ranks and proving that he's got some quickness and has some gears that the other running backs don't have. So McLaughlin, I think, may actually change the dynamic here a little bit. Mm, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, Mason. Again, I love Jaleel McLaughlin. He's a good story. I think he gets about 15 to 20% of the touches from the running back position on Sunday. Oh, I, 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 I think we look at the box score on Monday, he'll have two carries for eight yards. I, I don't think he will be a factor in this game. I don't think they're going into week one blowing touches, everything up. Not, not just carries, it's receptions too. Okay, but I don't think they're going into week one blowing everything up in their running back room because this undrafted free agent not, made their team. Not blowing everything, but giving him, I mean, if, I'd say if, if it's 15 to 20% and you have a total of, say, 30 touches from the running back position, uh, 20% of those touches would be six. Okay, I think that's about. I think think that's about where he ends up. All right, I I just don't. I don't think that Sean Payton and his coaches are game planning uh, to have Jaleel McLaughlin a big part of this offense. I don't. I think Javante Williams looks like a potential bona fide star, and they paid Samaj P. Ryan a lot of money to do what he did in Cincy and back up Joe Mixon. And I think if if things go off course. I'm not telling you that come week seven, Jaleel's not going to be the guy. I'm just telling you, come week one, Sean Payton seems like a guy to me who's going to follow what he thought he was going to do when he took this job. Do you think he, when he took the job, he knew that Javante Williams would be ready all to that degree in week one, though? Uh, I think when George Payton said it at the Combine, he had a pretty good inkling because George Payton said that, what, just a few weeks after Sean, Sean was hired? Mm-hmm. And we all said, wait, what? And it turns out George Payton was right all along. George Payton didn't speak out of turn at all at the Combine. So, yeah, so let's I th- save that as a... As a drop, by the way, George Payton was right all along. Yeah, well, from Will, we'll get KJ on that. What is, <laughs> he was right all along on that. Word, one. Words I never thought I'd hear you say. He was right all along on that one. I, I think what I'm getting at, Mace, is there's a reason they didn't bring in Dalvin Cook. Yeah, there's a reason they didn't bite on the cream hunt thing. There's a reason they didn't flirt with Zeke because Javante was healthy. And when Javante was healthy, Javante was always going to be the plan with Samaje as the two. And McLaughlin's pr- proving that he's going to provide a nice little wrinkle. But that, to me, is a down the road if things aren't going well, not a week one injection. The question on Javante being healthy, and he is healthy, but is he healthy to 100% of where he was, or is that like 85% of where he was pre-injury? It's a good question. It's fair. I, I think all I can go off of is he did not miss a single day of training camp for PUP. And when that list came out of the four on the NFI and PUP, the story that day, whatever day it was, I think it was like the 25th. It was before camp, yeah. Yeah, it was like the 25th of July. Yeah. That's a long time ago at this point. So if he was healthy on the 25th of July, I have to believe he's healthy on the 10th of September. Yeah, and it's, uh, he couldn't have gone on the PUP again anyway. Once he practiced, that's it. That was, you know, they basically they made that commitment immediately. Let's hear from Sean on Javante. Well, tell me how many snaps we're going to have. You know, generally speaking, if you're converting third down, there's a number of things that happen when you end up having a lot of rushing snaps. But, look, he's going to play a big role I haven't put together a number for him, you know. We feel like he and P. Ryan give us, I don't want to say similar backs, and then obviously we have a little different dimension with Jaleel, but um, yeah, he's going to, we feel like he's he's moving well, uh, he's strong and healthy, and, and the preseason was important for him, but more important was the the hours he put in in the rehab. Strong, healthy, preseason was important, but the rehab went great. 
You're right, though. I'll give you a little credit. You mentioned it. He did He did at least mention Jaleel by name. So either he's playing a little chess with Josh, Josh McDaniels or maybe he will get his six touches on Sunday. I think the thing with Sean Payton is looking at his history and what he's done with running backs who are smaller, quicker than average. He has found ways to get them involved and created packages for them. So that's part of the reason why I look at McLaughlin and look at some of the other backs that he's maximized in New Orleans, and I think, okay, that skill set, he's going to find a way to get in involved, even if it's on a 15 to 20% of the running back touch bases. All right, well, it'll be fascinating. You and I will do this show um, you know, at least once a week, if not twice a week during football season, so I can't wait to dive into it next week. Another big storyline from practice today the six captains, Mace. We get the six captains revealed to us, and they are, of course, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, Cortland Sutton, Russell Wilson, Mike McGlinchey, and Riley Dixon. So you've got two safeties, a wide receiver, a quarterback, an offensive tackle, and a punter. Sort of all three position groups checked. But your thoughts on the six, and particularly, where's Garrett Bowles? And I heard you guys talking about this a little bit on the drive, but I don't know if it came up. To me, I think it's fair to ask, where's Pat Sertan the second? So your thoughts on those two not being captains? Well, the whole Garrett Bowles, Mike McGlinchey thing is fascinating. It's like, okay, well, just because the player has been around for ages entitles him to be a captain? I mean, yeah, this is Garrett Bowles' seventh, seventh season with the Broncos. But how do we know that Mike McGlinchey didn't come in and display better leadership qualities that res- resonate with his teammates? In that case, there you go, captain. I don't think this is the big deal that some other people think it is. Well, I, I, think I, it says, I think they picked I think a brand it, new guy over the guy who hasn't been here for seven years. I do think that's a big deal. Well, Can I you think, imagine if you were at a job for seven years and they promoted someone in front of you who had been there for three months? I'd be a little insulted. Well, McGlinchey, he's a, he's a six-year veteran. Bowles is a seven-year veteran. They're both fairly experienced. At this point, I don't think the fact that Bowles has been with Denver for seven years, I don't think that matters. It's about And look, it's about what the team is right now, what resonates right now. Um, and and leadership isn't necessarily tied to experience. Is it possible that Mike McGlinchey has better leadership qualities that resonate more in the locker room than those of Garrett Bowles with other players? Sure. I just, I feel like instead of focusing on, oh, Garrett Bowles didn't get it, maybe it's what Mike McGlinchey did to be the captain that's more relevant. I mean, but every other one of these captains has experience with the Broncos, and I understand Riley Dixon has come and gone. Yeah, but, the, but yeah, Riley Dixon's experience was when, like, only Justin Simmons and Garrett Bowles were here. I mean, that was, like, another time. But they weren't going to pick Will Lutz, and they weren't going to pick the long snapper. So that was yeah, sort of if, he wanted by default. Yeah, um, if and the other thing also, I mean, they're still figuring out what they, you know, in terms of gunners and things like that, uh, which guys are going to fit. I mean, if Will Lutz is acquired in May, who's to say Lutz isn't the captain, right? All right, I, you never, I mean, you never know. I, I don't care all that much about the special teams one, but what I'm pointing out is that if you had if you had done a straw poll amongst the fan staff, Denver sports staff, last night and said, hey, who's more likely to be captain, Garrett Bowles or Mike McGlinchey? I bet 95% of us would have picked Bowles. I wouldn't have. So you, you, the guy just can't lead? I would have said, well, I would have gone with two offense, two defense, two special teams. And in that case, it would have been the quarterback, because it's almost always the quarterback as right. captain, and Corlin Sutton, who's been around a while himself. Well, those two were captains. Yes. I got no problem with either of those two. Yeah. I got I got no problem with Dixon. I got no problem with Simmons. The Kareem one, eh, I love Kareem, and he's a great leader. 
But I don't know if one of your captains, who may not even be a starter, makes a ton of sense. Well, that probably tells you what they expect his role to be then, perhaps. Well, it was the players who voted on it, right? Well, it's the players, but ultimately the coaches sign off on it, too. Okay, so you think Kareem Jackson is getting significantly more playing time than Caden Stearns? I think, I mean, they're listed as an or, but I think we'll see plenty of Kareem Jackson on Sunday. All right, I would I, be very look. I mean, the fact that they kept him as a vested veteran coming out of camp, which means they're on the hook for the salary for the entire year. I think that says a lot, and I think uh, him getting the captain here says a lot about uh, about the plans for him. And it's not anti Kareem at all. I just think in year three, it was probably time to make PS two a captain because I think we are in the day and age where your best player has to be a captain. And he is the best player on the Broncos. He's probably the top corner in the NFL. And people are already putting him in the same breath as Champ Bailey. I would have made PS2 a captain over Kareem Jackson. That'll happen soon enough, I think. Well, if Mike McGlinchey can do it after two months, why why can't... Well, well two Garrett, months here, but it's six years in the league, too. Why why can't PS2 do it after in year three? I mean, Mike, Mike McGlinchey's closet I mean, probably what, has are, should they be doing Broncos the, polos Should they be doing it? the leaders and dogs thing so you can get more people in? Putting the L's and the D's on the jersey like CU does? <laughs> Give them all L's and L's. Yeah, I, I mean, these. by the way, you got to come up with something different than an L on the jersey. I mean. There's too many jokes to be written there. It was too easy. Like, come on. Like, All right, so, but but just to put a ball on this, you, you think all six captains, they just nailed it, is what I'm hearing. That's fine by me. I mean, I, I again, we don't know the dynamics of what goes on in that locker room exactly. We can get indications. But we don't know how many people that Mike McGlinchey has reached and influenced just since he got here. We know we know what he's like publicly. We know what he's like when he, when he's what he speaks, and we know that he's a pretty good teammate. And it's nothing negative on Garrett Bowles, but everyone's got a different set of strengths, personality wise. And for some people, those strengths lend themselves more to leadership than for others. You know, some are leaders, and some are there. Are, there are some who want to lead. There are some who want to do their own thing, and there are some who are content to just take instruction and follow that. Do you think this is Garrett Bowles last year as a member of the Broncos? That contract says it probably is, yes, yeah, yeah. without a restructure. He's got $4 million in dead cap next year and a $20 million cap hit. Yeah. He's going to have to have a 2020-like resurgence for them to be willing to pay him that kind of money in 2024. Yeah. Doesn't look good. And that could play a factor into... This decision as well. All right, you can read about it at Denver Although Kareem Jackson basically is year-to-year at this point, and he was a captain. Yeah, yeah, like, he was. Kareem Jackson's literally on a one-year contract. Garrett Bowles is another year left on his deal. And K-Jack's a captain. So I don't think that has the weight that uh, maybe in this decision that maybe it would appear. I just can't imagine Garrett Bowles is driving out of the facility a real happy camper today. I think, I think that's probably a tough pill to swallow. Again, he got passed up. He's been here in year seven. He got passed up on a guy who just walked in the door. I think that may be that may be tough, but then again, this is who they voted: Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, Cortland Sutton, Russell Wilson. Do Mike they Wilson. owe anybody a captaincy? Uh oh, no, I don't think oh. I, I I think I would have been more comfortable if like Lloyd Cushenberry were a captain. At least he's been here for a few years. So it's about being here, not being in the league. I think those guys are the guys who know your room. They know your team. Garrett Bowles, I guarantee you, has more relationships in that locker room than Mike McGlinchey. Has. Okay, but you also have an environment where there are a lot of new people coming in and you have a new head coach and you have a new vibe. All right. So maybe this is actually th- having two players who are new to the team. And I know Riley Dixon, you know, he played here early in his career, but he's new to basically the rest of the, the Broncos. Perhaps this is the needle to thread here of the six captains. Two of the guys are 
players that you acquired back in March. All right. Well, that will uh, that will wrap up the captain talk for today. Those are your six captains. On the other side, though, we know Coach Prime is keeping receipts. Guess what? Russell Wilson said today he's keeping receipts too. Ramoslaw.com text line is 303-713-1043. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. Lots and lots of thoughts on captains. Apparently it's a hot-button subject, Mace. It is. Well, I think uh, it's hot-button when it's presented as, oh, does it have to be something? Is it something negative about Garrett Bowles? And Garrett Bowles is a subject that certainly trips the trigger of many in Broncos country, uh, whether positive or negative. I just think there was a snub there. So I, I wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't trying to. I, I actually thought there so was So does T-Mac, apparently, because yeah. he, he mentioned the same thing in the 5 o'clock hour. I thought there was two snubs. I, th- I think PS2 needs to be a captain. I think, I think the best player on your football team and a top 30-ish player in the league and the best corner in the league should be a captain. I, I just think that's sort of, it would be the equivalent of, you know, if the Nuggets named five captains deciding that Nikola Jokic was not one of the captains. Yes, he may not be the best rah-rah leader on that team, but he's the best player, so okay. he should be a captain. What if the best player on your team is a player who has doesn't have any discernible leadership ability and maybe has some bad stuff off the field? Well, I don't think BS2 has any bad stuff off the field. No, he doesn't. But I'm just saying that I'm countering the notion that it should always be your best player. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, if there's baggage off the field, then sure. But in this case, there's not. So that's why yeah. I think he should be. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's but to say like it should always be that. I'm like, oh, I can think of some some times where it probably shouldn't. Yeah. No, there, there are some examples over the years. And I, I get that. That's what I happens do. when I'm a ra- you're a raging skeptic like I am. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move on from the captain talk into Russell Wilson. Keeping receipts, Mace. We heard all about this with Coach Prime on Saturday. Uh, we know he walked into the locker room before he even got to the podium. I got receipts. I got receipts. Well, Russell Wilson was asked today, does he keep receipts? And he said, yeah, I think you got them in your back pocket. He elaborated, I'm used to some of those who believe and some of those who doubt. People will question whether you can do it or not. And I think I've proven that throughout my career what I can do, and I've got to go do it again keeping those receipts in the back pocket. Do you like Russell Wilson admitting, maybe for the first time ever, that he does hear some of the noise, Mace? If it helps him play better, that's the thing. If it helps motivate you, if it brings out something positive in you, what's wrong with it? Again. It's working in Boulder. Right. Hey, there are some people who when they do that, it gnaws away at them, right? It can take a toll. But if you're using it as motivational fuel and it's creating a positive... Shoot, keep all the dadgum receipts you want. Have a have a stack of receipts piled as high as those trees out here outside of the studio, right? And Russell Wilson could have a – he could, based on all the slander and hate he got last year, oh, yeah. his stack of receipts could be four stories high. Yeah, I mean, you think that maybe somewhere in Russ' world there's a video compilation of all the stuff that was said? It could be a half hour. It could be 45 minutes. Oh, it could be more than that. Like it could last, be three hours. It, it could be Titanic. It, it, it reached that weirdly personal stage last year. It did. Where it went beyond just professional critiques to something deeper. And you've already and got guys this yeah. year saying he's going to get benched. You know, you've already got hot takes for 2023. Like a lot of people haven't even hit the reset button. They're already slandering Russ when he has not played a down yet for this version of the Denver Broncos. And I think... 
that's more receipts. So we're not just talking 2022 receipts. We're talking everything that happened this summer receipts mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And if it works, if it works, that's great. That, that that's and that's that's sort of where I kind of land on this. Not, but not everyone's wired that way. For some, those things are going to eat away at you. Like I, I would recommend for our friend Melvin Gordon, for example, oh. keep no receipts because clearly it seemed to get him into a bad headspace. I'm going to add a why to that, and it's not our friend Melvin Gordon; it's your friend Melvin Gordon. <laughs> I did that because I knew it would tick you off. Yeah, I'm going to add a why to that. Um, but what what about this notion that in a, in a subtle way here today? Yeah. yeah, I think you've got to keep him in your back pocket. That's what Russell said. Mm-hmm. It's an acknowledgement, Mace, that he hears this stuff and he sees this stuff, which we all knew it would be impossible for him not to, but he finally, in a roundabout way, admitted today he knows it's out there. Now, the question I have for you is this. Do you think he's seeing it of his own volition, or do you think people on his team in his orbit are bringing it to him? I think he's a human being like the rest of us with an Instagram account and a Twitter account. You think he searches Russell Wilson? I don't think he search, has to search Russell Wilson. Searches for his own name, not his uh, Twitter handle? If you're a lower-tier player, you can search for your own name and then start DMing people. We saw a guy do that last year. Uh, I won't name names of who sent the DM or who received the DM, but it happened. Trust us. If you're a lower-tier player, you got to do that. If you're Russell Wilson, you don't have to search anything. You're, you're on every TV in America every day. You're on every Twitter timeline Every day, you're on every Instagram reel every day. And whatever's being said is probably multiplied by a factor of 100 in terms of all that is actually out there. I mean, I mentioned going to a baseball game in Phoenix a few weeks ago and overhearing people at a Padres-Diamondbacks game talking about Russell Wilson and slamming him there. Multiple conversations, just overhearing that. You know, it it was wild. Like, he's on everybody's mind. Who, where does he rank in terms of most polarizing players in the NFL? He's got to be top five, right? Uh, and, and by, uh, he might be number one right now. He literally might be the most polarizing player. Is Patrick player Mahomes polarizing? I mean, I know people here generally don't like him, but it's not so much a personality thing as much as it is he has kicked your team's butt for five years now. And you know what Patrick Mahomes is? I'll give you another P.O. word. He's popular. That doesn't mean he's polarizing, right? There's a difference there. Russ? Peyton Manning, popular. Correct. Tom Brady? Polarizing. I think polarizing. Yes. So in terms of... I think he became more popular at the end. He did. I think once he got out of hoodie in New England and all that. Okay. I'll give you the other guy who is as polarizing. In the whole league? Yes. Give me it. The quarterback you're going to see coming here in week five. Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. But they're they're polarizing for different reasons. Yes, Rodgers dips his toes in a lot of political stuff, which I think doesn't you know help his case at least with half the people. And I also think Rodgers doesn't really care what you think. And I think Russell Wilson cares a lot about what you think in terms of their demeanor at the podium and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think uh, you know some people want to be liked. Some people are pleasers, right? Um, I do get the sense that when Russell Wilson is smiling, he does want every, he does want people to smile with him. Yeah, 
that's a, a lot of people are that way. There's actually nothing wrong with that. And then the, Share, and, sharing joy, right? There's in 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 theory, there that's just fine and dandy. And then you take like a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's pretty much just universally disliked. So he's not really polarizing. Well, he, he earned that exactly, and he's universally disliked for a lot of reasons. So a couple textures sent that he doesn't really get in the conversation in my eyes. So yeah, I mm-hmm. think it's you know I think I think he came up with a good one. I think it's it's Rogers and Russ are sort of the most polarizing QBs in the league. So, again, bringing that back to this current conversation, Russell Wilson saying he's keeping receipts, mean Russell Wilson sees it, and how could he not see it? Because he leads sports talk shows in America mm-hmm. when Coach Prime is not leading sports talk shows in America or when Sean Payton isn't. We're lucky <laughs> in Denver. We got three uh, three pretty big names here that, that people not just locally but also nationally seem to care about and want to talk about an awful lot. Yeah, it's... Ah, <sighs> Who could have seen that? Who could have seen that coming? Uh, Twenty four months ago, right? Yeah, when when we had uh, let's see, uh, Carl Durrell, snooze fest, mm-hmm. uh, Vic Fangio, snooze fest. Your quarterbacks were Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Uh, snooze fest and uh, pretty much snooze fest. I mean, not around here, but nationally, yes. No, but that's what I'm saying. Those four names uh-huh. we just rattled off the the clout they have versus Prime Peyton and Russ. You kidding me? Night and day. This is a team, that, and now this is a football community with CU involved. This is a football community that makes headlines. And we saw, look, look at the ratings for CU and TCU on Saturday. Through the roof. I Absolutely. wrote about them today. They got like 7.6 million viewers. These are two f- college football programs that do not have huge fan bases. That's another thing to consider, right? This is not Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, right? This is TCU, private school in Fort Worth against Colorado, a school that's got a substantial following, but that following has been down in the dumps for basically a generation. Well, you know what, Mace? You're a good teaser because you brought up what I wanted to talk about, and we'll give you the specifics on those ratings next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. So uh, people watched Coach Prime and the Buffs this weekend. We know that much. But, man, not only did they beat TCU, they smashed everyone in the Saturday TV ratings. I'm going to hit you with some numbers, Mace. Colorado TCU gets 7.262 million viewers. Next closest for the entire day is Ohio State-Indiana at 4.64. So they beat them by nearly 3 million viewers. West Virginia-Penn State. A lot of interest in that game over on the East Coast. Comes in at 3.497. Nebraska-Minnesota, 3.492. I know that was a little earlier, but still. North Carolina-South Carolina, the Carolina rivalry, 3.4 million. You get the idea here. All these games, even the big ones, checking in 3 to 4 million viewers. Uh, the big noon kickoff on Fox gets 7.262 million. The only game that got more people was uh, Florida State LSU Sunday night. A standalone Sunday night game yep. between two top 10 teams. Mm-hmm. That was at 9.165. So second on the weekend. But when people think college football, they think college football Saturday. That is the day CU wins running away. Surprised or not surprised? Um, not surprised because there was such a curiosity factor around Deion Sanders. That's what that was. More so than TCU coming off of playing in the national championship game. More so than CU fans, Buff Nation, coming back to the fold and uh, their interest being reignited. 
by Deion Sanders, it was the national curiosity. People wanted to see what was up. I mean, just to just to take a comparison, all right? Okay. You had CU and TCU playing at the same time as Tennessee and Virginia on ABC. Okay. Right? So we're talking two networks that are both over the air, not cable, and the audience for CU and TCU, which, I mean, Tennessee has a huge fan base, right? Massive. Massive. Rocky Top. Rocky Top, Tennessee. The ma- the audience for CU and TCU, two schools that don't, in terms of the national scope, don't have massive fan bases. The audience was nearly 5 million people larger. 4.8 million people, according to the ratings at sportsmediawatch.com. Wow. Wow, that wow, wow. doesn't that ha, that happens because people around the country know Deion Sanders. Whether you're uh, an old you're an old school fan from the '90s, remembers him as a Falcon or a Cowboy or a 49er or a baseball player, or or you just or you witnessed what he did, um, you know, at uh, Jackson State, and okay, here's this big bold personality. Coming in, I want. There's a curiosity factor that's through the roof, and you know what? After that game last week, I wouldn't be surprised if the ratings for CU Nebraska on Saturday are higher than the ones we just saw. Well, that it, people who watch that want to turn the page, and oh, by the way, now you actually get into another school that has a gargantuan fan base, and that is the University of Nebraska. Yes. It could creep 10 million viewers. It could. It could absolutely push 10 million. Because they're at 7.262. Uh, Fox's most watched Big Noon Saturday game ever, up 17% over the 2022 version. And think about that. That means it outdid like an Ohio State Michigan game or two in could, there, right? Yes. Well, it was week one. It was week one. So I got to oh, be careful. Oh, their on highest that. week one, right? Yeah, okay, I got to be I careful on that. Okay. And then, but it was also the fourth most streamed college football game in Fox Sports history. Okay. I understand they've probably only been offering streaming for, I don't know, four or five years on some sort of an app or, or a third party service, something yeah. like that. But that's the one where it's, it, it's, it's, you know, that was week one. And now they've won something. So I'm with you. I think you bring up a really good point. It, will Colorado Nebraska be the highest game of week two? And this is why I ask you because Alabama's playing Texas. And that's where I want to know. Who do you think gets higher ratings ultimately? And they're two different time slots, so they don't have to go head-to-head. Bama, Texas is at 5.30 at night. Mm-hmm. CU, Nebraska at 10 a.m. But when you get Bama, Texas, or CU, TCU, when these ratings come out next Wednesday, May, so a week from today, who gets more viewers? Because if you beat Bama, Texas, we're not coming. We're here. I think an interesting question then becomes uh, what games are on at the same time in each time slot because I'd like to know what other games are on at noon Eastern, 10 o'clock Mountain Time on, on Saturday. Well, I can give you the top 25 and, games real quick. And what other games are on it and, and what games are on at uh, 530? All right, I'll give you the top 25 games. You got Ball State, Georgia. Mm, people love their dogs, but no one outside of the Athens, Atlanta, Georgia area cares about that. Okay. You got Delaware, Penn State. <laughs> You got Youngstown State, Ohio State. Who cares? You got Notre Dame, NC State. Eh, yeah. Okay. Okay. The, the Wolfpack and the, Notre Dame's a huge brand. Yes. And you got Utah Baylor. 
Those are your those are your competing ten AM games. Baylor just lost and to the, Texas State. And then there's a few others like Purdue Virginia Tech and uh, well, I only went top, I only went top okay. twenty five. Oh, you're right. right. K State's ranked. My so fault. let's go to then the uh the games that are on in the late uh, in the uh, like in the four thirty, five o'clock, five thirty window. Okay. All right. So five PM is Texas Alabama on ESPN. Also at five PM on Fox is Oregon, Texas Tech. Okay. Texas Tech just had a stinker against Wyoming. Yes. Uh, UCF, Boise, neither one's ranked. That's also at 5 o'clock. Um, at 5.30, you've got Wisconsin at Washington State on ABC and Charlotte at Maryland on NBC. Mm. And You'd have to pay me to watch Charlotte at Maryland. That's the NBC primetime game. Charlotte and Maryland. <laughs> I think what your point you're getting at here is there's nothing even in the ballpark of Texas, Alabama. There, there's yeah. nothing at night that anyone's going to watch besides Texas. I Alabama. mean, maybe Oregon, Texas Tech is going to siphon some viewers. But really, like, and I mean, I'll admit I'll probably be watching Wisconsin and Washington State, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, of course, I'm starting of to think teams. now Texas, Alabama is going to get a bigger number because... I th- the competition there in, in, in a primetime slot is uh, is less daunting. It's lacking. Yeah. I still think they can get 10 million, though. I do. That's going to be my goal. They got 7.262. Oh, and uh, yeah. And Charlotte in Maryland is a primetime game? What is NBC paying for with this Big Ten contract, man? Well, that is. That's as. That's a, as deep a cut as you get. That's like Big Ten number six crew game. Yeah. Big Ten Network. Wow. Anyway. All right. Well, we'll have to find out. But it's once again in the top slot on Fox. You got Joel Clatt coming home to Boulder. Shout out Joel. He comes on 104.3 all the time. You got Gus Johnson coming to town. The big noon Saturday, baby. Get the eggs ready. The omelets. The French toast. The pancakes. Mimosas, I know how you do it, Boulder. For KJ, for May, some will. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station. 104.3, The Fan.